tonight, <clears throat> we believe that the Lord's going to do something holy. It's Good Friday, and as I was growing up, I always thought it was a really interesting term we used for a day like today. And as I think about Good Friday, I can only kind of remember how how good it is for us, but how bad it was for Jesus. And tonight, really what I want us to take a look at is what Jesus went through to make this Friday so good for us. We're going to be in Mark. Mark chapter 15. Verse 6 through 15. It says, now at the feast, he being Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they'd asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was only out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. Jesus, Tonight we remember this day that you stood before Pilate and you went to that hill and you sacrificed your life for us. Jesus, tonight we remember the day that I pray that none of us ever forget. Lord, we remember this holy day 2,000 years ago where you took our place. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name. On a day like today, in a scripture like the one we just read, we typically know the story and how it goes between Jesus and Pilate. You focus in on this story and 
the last day of Jesus' last day of Jesus' life on earth before he was crucified during Holy Week. In this whole week, Jesus has been moving towards one moment. And as you read the story, if you're like me, you find one character that sticks out a little bit different than all the rest. Barabbas. You find Jesus and Pilate as almost like the main characters of the story. And all of a sudden, this one man gets introduced. It's almost like an afterthought. Barabbas. A man who seemingly gets thrown into the story at one moment and then forgotten. It seems like an odd, specific detail to add into this story. And it's interesting because all four gospel writers include this specific story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include Jesus' conversation with Pilate, but also include this one strange man, Barabbas. I believe that there's depth in the details. As we dive into the details of the story and focus on this one interesting and kind of peculiar relationship we find between Jesus and Barabbas, we're going to find a lot more about Jesus than we knew when we came in. Tonight, I want to talk about Jesus and Barabbas. You see, John's gospel, the way that he starts is he starts the gospel, and once he gets to chapter 12, you find the last week of Jesus' life starting, the triumphal entry. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead the chapter before and now he goes back into Jerusalem where he knows that they want to kill him. And starting in chapter 12, John starts the last week of Jesus' life. And if you know anything about the book of John, the book of John actually has 21 chapters, which means the last week of Jesus' life took up almost half of the gospel of John. We see Jesus in the last week of his life doing many miracles. I mean, you find him being anointed. You find Jesus entering into Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. You find Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You find Jesus gives us the new commandment that you should love one another how I have loved you. You find Jesus promising us the Holy Spirit. You find Jesus giving two of his I am statements in the last week of his life. You find Jesus praying the high priestly prayer in the last week of his life. You find Jesus at the Last Supper in the last week of Jesus' life. You find Jesus cleansing the temple. You find Peter denying Jesus. Judas betraying Jesus. You have Jesus before Pilate. You have the whips and the lashes that Jesus took. You have the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus prayed and sweat drops of blood in. You have his moment before Pilate and the walk he took to Golgotha. You have the cross at the end of this week. Holy Week that the church has appropriately named this time. And as I look at the last week of Jesus's life, the word that just screams at me is the word pain. That the last week of Jesus's life was filled with pain. And yet we find in the gospel of Luke chapter nine, verse 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. 
Now, when you read that, I don't know if it elicits the same response for you that it does for me, but Jesus was resolved in his spirit to set his face towards pain. Jerusalem, the last week of Jesus' life, he was resolved in his soul to go into strife, into betrayal, uncertainty, into lies, to carry the weight of sin, to go to the cross, to have people abandon him who we had walked with for three years, that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. I can't begin to imagine what it took for Jesus to set his face knowing the beginning from the end and knowing That in this one week, he was going to be the most painful week that not just he had experienced, but any human ever had experienced. Yet he was resolved in his spirit to set his face towards Jerusalem. We know that he didn't want to. You see him in the garden praying, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, then do it. Yet... Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem and Jesus still sets his face to you. Knowing the pain, knowing the strife, knowing the uncertainty, knowing the betrayal. Knowing exactly what he was getting into with you, Jesus still sets his face Towards us, And if Jesus would set his face towards Jerusalem and all of the pain that he was going to experience then, what makes you think that he wouldn't set his face towards you today? Jesus is the king who didn't shy away from pain, but he walked directly into it. And when we see a savior like that, a Lord like that, we can say, if you didn't, forsake your mission to go straight and directly into pain, then why would you stop now? Jesus sets his face towards you, knowing your beginning from your end, knowing your successes and your failures, knowing your victories and your defeats, knowing your highs and your lows, knowing exactly what it would cost him, knowing that you were not really going to be a good return on his, his investment. And yet he says, I still set my face, not just to Jerusalem, but to you and I today. And if you're like me, you find yourself looking at this story and and saying, God, if you would go directly into anxiety and pain and strife and worry and sin and carrying the weight and death, why? It's because Jesus loved Jerusalem. (laughs) Jesus loved Jerusalem. You find... In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, it says, Jesus speaking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. Jesus is speaking of the judgment that's to come upon Jerusalem. 
the city that kills prophets and stones those that are sent to it. And then he makes this incredible analogy of a mother hen collecting her, her chicks and gathering them and protecting them. Jesus loved Jerusalem. And he finds himself looking at the city, weeping over the city, not just this time, but we see he's gone into the city before and Jesus weeps twice, once at the tomb of Lazarus and once at Jerusalem. And he's weeping over this city and it's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you would have let me, I would have helped you. I would have covered you. If you would have let me, like a hen gathers her chicks underneath her wings, I would have hidden you under the shelter of my wing. If you would have let me, I would have protected you from everything that you thought was good for you that was actually horrible for you. Everything that I sent to you that you immediately sent away. He said, if you would have let me, but you weren't willing You find Jesus weeping over this city that he dearly, dearly loves. Knowing all of the pain that he's going to walk into. And Jesus yet still sets his face. He says, but you didn't want me. He's saying, if you would have stopped trusting in religion, I would have given you a better way. He's saying, if you would have stopped drinking from Jacob's well, I would have given you water that you would never thirst again. He might be saying to you today, if you would stop running, I would care for you like you're trying to care for yourself. He weeps over this city called Jerusalem. And he sets his face towards this city who wanted nothing to do with him. He said, if you would have come to me, daughter, if you would have come to me, son, I would have cared for you. I would have protected you like a mother hen protects her chicks, wrapping my arms around you, keeping you safer than you ever thought or dreamed. Jesus loves Jerusalem. Jesus loves you. Jesus was committed to gathering you up to himself, knowing that there was no other safe place for you. He said, if you would just come to me, but you, but you didn't. And now the destruction that was going to come upon Jerusalem. You see, the ruling Jews in this time, the Sanhedrin, were essentially the like, supreme court of the day in their time and in their context. And what they did is that they hated Jesus because of all of the fame and the notoriety that he was amassing. And once he raised Lazarus from the dead, that was the last straw for them. They said that he has to go. They started to plot to kill Jesus. And they had already condemned him in their own minds to commit Jesus to death. But the issue is now they needed Pilate to sentence him to death. They had decided The religious leaders and the chief priests of the time said that they were going to kill Jesus. And you find in this passage of scripture that Pilate had this tradition during Passover to let go one of the prisoners on death row so that his life could be spared. The Sanhedrin went to Pilate and were trying to get Pilate to, to convince him to kill Jesus. And there's this one man in the prison named Barabbas. 
a certain man in the prison named Barabbas. And we don't even know a lot about Barabbas. If you look at commentaries about this, people focus on the relationship between Pilate and Jesus. And yet every single gospel mentions this random figure, Barabbas. Barabbas has never been mentioned before this moment, and he's never mentioned after this moment. He's thrown into the text as merely the side character of the story, and yet he becomes this, this, this incredible allegory for the gospel that we're about to see. And the Sanhedrin go, and <laughs> all we know is about Barabbas is that he's a murderer. He's a thief. He leads an insurrection, so he's like a terrorist against Rome. He's a robber. And, and we find this, this horrible distinction between that one man, Barabbas, and that one man, Jesus. We find that Jesus is this righteous miracle worker who's known as the Christ. And we see Barabbas as this rebel murderer and criminal. In the Sanhedrin go and they try and introduce <laughs> Jesus to Pilate and they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy because he had claimed to be God, but Rome didn't care about that. They needed a different reason to put Jesus to death. So the Sanhedrin had to conjure up a different reason and said, you know what we'll do? We'll say that he's a threat against Rome because he's claiming to be king of the Jews. And Rome can't have another king threatening the throne. So if Pilate sees him as a king, that threatens Caesar. That's treason. Of course he'll kill him. The Sanhedrin bring Jesus before Pilate. But the issue is that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus had done nothing wrong. In order to be put to death, they had to convict Pilate that Jesus was a criminal. And that's why you find Pilate asking the same question over and over and over. Are you king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't say a word. Everyone says that you claim to be a king of the Jews. Is it true, Jesus? Are you king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't say anything. The only thing we find Jesus saying as he sits before Pilate is, Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? Jesus responds with, if you say so. Frustrating Pilate, frustrating the Sanhedrin, frustrating everybody. Are you king of the Jews? Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus. And Jesus remains silent. You know, sometimes I've realized that what you don't say speaks louder than what you do say. Jesus doesn't say a word. He doesn't defend himself at all, but... Then Pilate comes to himself and he looks at the crowd and he says, who do you want me to release? The Sanhedrin by this time had gotten to the crowd. He said, you need to tell him, release Barabbas. You need to tell him, release Barabbas. You need Barabbas to be set free. You don't like this Jesus guy. Release Barabbas. The crowd all of a sudden responds to Pilate. We want Barabbas. Pilate's confused. He said, well, what do you want me to do with this Jesus who's known as the Christ? Crucify him. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read this story, 
I get so upset. Because I look at this story and I see Barabbas, this murder, this, this criminal, this insurrectionist, this, this guy who was actually against Rome. And then you find Jesus, this righteous man who only heals and restores and, and was teaching good news and was helping the poor and was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And the crowd starts to shout, crucify him. And I look at Pilate and I look at the crowd and I look at Sanhedrin and I even look at Jesus and I say, are we really going to decide the fate of two men, one being the son of God and the other being a murderer by the popular vote of a raging mob? That's what we're going to do? We're going to decide if Jesus dies by a raging mob? That has been convinced by corrupt leaders. That's what we're doing. And you find Jesus sitting silently. And I look at Jesus. And to be honest, if you're like me, I'm like, Jesus, say something. You're not saying anything. You could have told everybody, no, Barabbas is a crook. He's a murderer. He deserves to be here. You could have called down a legion of angels in this moment. You could have destroyed Rome. You could have said, I am, and everybody would have fallen on their backs. You could have gone up to the throne and sitting next to the Father right now. Jesus, say something. Jesus is silent. He doesn't say a word. Sometimes what you don't say speaks louder than what you do. And Jesus' silence here is... Speaking about his mercy. <laughs> Jesus' silence is not allowing Barabbas' sin. It's just emphasizing his blood. He's silent. <laughs> and his mercy starts to go. No one even recognizes it at this moment, but his mercy is washing over Barabbas right now. It's this inconceivable mercy that is not able to be comprehended this side of glory that Jesus, by saying nothing, was saying everything. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying, essentially, you can take Barabbas. Take him. You see, Jesus showed his love for us, not in just what he did, but what he didn't do. What if Jesus' greatest act of love was actually an act of mercy? He's silent. You see, Jesus is mercy incarnate. That's who he is. He is mercy. He doesn't just do mercy. He is mercy. One of the most important questions in your walk with Jesus is when you close your eyes and you picture him sitting at the right throne, right side of the Father. What do you see him saying over you? Do you see him condemning you? Do you hear Jesus saying, how dare you sin against me, a holy God? Do you see him saying, you need to do better and think about what you did before you come back to me? 
Do you see Jesus condemning you when you close your eyes and you think of the throne room of heaven? Because Jesus to Barabbas, his silence was his mercy. And if you look at the scriptures, you see anybody who's under the blood of Jesus has a different word spoken over them. In John chapter 8, you see Jesus in one of those radical things that upset the religious leaders so much. Jesus was teaching and there's this woman brought in front of him by the religious leaders caught in the act of adultery. Which in that time meant that she deserved to be put to death. They dragged this woman before Jesus, probably exactly as they found her. Jesus is drawing in the sand. And they say, Jesus, what are you going to do with this woman? She was sinning against the law that Moses gave us. What should we do trying to test him? Jesus stands up and says, okay. Those of you who have not sinned, you can cast the first stone. And then the scripture says, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And you find this woman sitting before Jesus and Jesus standing in front of this woman. And the next words that come from our king's mouth is, woman, which one of them condemned you? She says, none of them, Lord. And our Lord says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What if Jesus' greatest act of love was actually an act of mercy? Neither do I condemn you, daughter. Neither do I condemn you, son. When you close your eyes and you picture the Father, what is he saying over you? Because if you're under the blood, he says that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Because if you're under the blood, it says that you are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Because if you're under the blood, it says, behold, you are altogether beautiful, my love. Because if you're under the blood, it says his banner over you is love. Because if you're under the blood, he says, my mercy triumphs over my judgment. Because if you're under the blood, he says, fear not. I have redeemed you, called you by name. You are mine. What if Jesus' greatest act of love was actually an act of mercy? Give us Barabbas, they shouted at Pilate. And all of a sudden you see this man who was shackled and broken this man who was in prison, rightfully so, walk off of his post, have his chains unlocked. People are probably cheering at this moment as they take the chains off of Barabbas and they start to put the chains on to Jesus. And I can only imagine Barabbas having his chains unlocked and seeing them place them on our king. And he looks at him and he walks on by. And you know what the crazy thing is? That we never see not once Barabbas even acknowledging what Jesus did. And he walks off the platform free. 
And Jesus gets chained. And we never hear from Barabbas again. And Jesus now is chained and bound and whipped and sentenced to the crucifixion. As I was reading this story, I realized that the cross of Jesus Christ wasn't his cross. Barabbas was in prison and be sentenced to death. That means that they made that cross for Barabbas. That means that cross had Barabbas' name on it. Have you ever thought about that? That the cross of Jesus Christ wasn't his cross? It was Barabbas' cross. It was your cross. That was my cross. And you see Jesus silently sitting before Pilate and sitting before these religious elite and sitting before the crowd. And I just sit there and I'm saying, what is happening? Why is this innocent man being sentenced to death for something that he didn't do? What is going on here? And Jesus lets them tie him up and and chain him up and and whip him and and put the cross on his back. And I look at the story and I say, where's the justice? This isn't just. You're supposed to be a just God. This isn't just. Nobody in this story is getting what they're owed. Everybody is not getting what they're owed. Barabbas gets to walk free. The Sanhedrin get to do whatever they want. The crowd gets to have a little bit of fun. And Jesus gets crucified. What's happening? And we see Jesus graciously take this cross. And nobody's getting what they deserve. Most especially Jesus. And Jesus starts walking to this hill the innocent man for the guilty man. No law could ever convince a man to do this. Only the law of love that was within Jesus could convince him, could persuade him by the help of the Holy Spirit to take that cross that was never meant for him. Somebody else's name on it. the innocent didn't die for the guilty, then the guilty would still be condemned. What I realize in this story as Jesus takes Barabbas' cross is simply this, that the father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that the father could treat Barabbas like Jesus. That Jesus could take the cross undeservedly, exchanging his righteousness for our unrighteousness, for the simple reason that the Father said, In order for me to treat Barabbas like Jesus, I had to treat Jesus like Barabbas. Jesus had to take the shame. And take on the weight of sin. And take on the punishment that we were owed. 
that we worked for, that we deserved, the cross that had our name on it so that the Father could treat us like the righteous one, allowing us to walk free, unashamed, with no condemnation, with no guarantee that we would ever receive his free gift and put our faith in him. Never once did we see Barabbas saying, Lord, I thank you for what you've done. I put my faith in you. I acknowledge you as the Messiah. And yet Jesus went and paid for his punishment anyway. Barabbas had to go free so that the glory of God could be seen. And the glory of God was most definitely seen. Because the enemy would love for us to think in that moment that he had won. I did it. I killed him. I got rid of him. But Jesus loves Barabbas. Jesus wanted Barabbas to go free. The Father's will was to release Barabbas. And you look at the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10, and we realize that actually it pleased the Father to release Barabbas and to treat Jesus like he treated Barabbas because it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And it was actually to the glory of God that Jesus would take our place. The innocent for the guilty. The righteous for the unrighteous. See, God allowed for this to happen because he knew that through one death of that one man, Jesus, much more life could reign. See, I am Barabbas. As much as I hate reading this story and seeing the inconsistencies between these two parties, I realize as I read it over and over again that I'm Barabbas. And you know what the word Barabbas means? Bar Abba means the son of the father. And you clearly see in the story that there was one unrighteous son of the father who traded places with the true, righteous, real son of the father. And Barabbas, who could never live up to his name, now received the mercy of God for the true son of the father, so that he could be glorified, so that his glory could be seen. And the unrighteous son of the father, as he was locked up, and condemned to death with a dead end and no way out, seeing Jesus now take his place and Jesus put on the cross and walk and march up to that wretched hill called Golgotha, the skull hill with that wretched cross on his back. We see that Jesus and Barabbas, it was his will for him to go free. And I deserved to be in chains. 
I deserved the cross. I deserved the punishment. And the true son of the father said, I know you deserved it. I know you worked for it. But give it to me. And I said, Jesus, no, you didn't. You're the righteous one. I'm the sinner. He says, no, I want it. I said, Jesus, you didn't do anything wrong. You never did anything wrong. And he says, give it to me. Let me take your cross. Let me take your punishment. Let me take your shame. Let me take your guilt. Let me take your condemnation. Give it to me. I want it. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, in the places where we are in the most pain, where we're hurting the most, we're bound by sin. We're locked up in jail. We know exactly where we're heading on this road. Just like our bodies, when we get in pain, our blood rushes to the spot and creates a bruise in order to heal it. Our bodies testify about the glory of God because in the place where the pain is the most, that's where the blood rushes to the fastest. And the blood of Jesus in this moment says, I'm rushing to Barabbas. I'm not walking. I'm not waiting till you get better. I'm rushing to Barabbas because I love Barabbas. That's where my blood belongs. I spilled my blood that you might be healed. And our bodies even teach us something about the gospel. That says Jesus' blood is rushing to you. It's making a dash towards the place where you're most hurt. And now we look at this whole situation and we say, Barabbas wasn't set free because the crowd chose him. Barabbas wasn't set free because Pilate said so. Barabbas wasn't set free because the Sanhedrin colluded against Jesus. Make no mistake, everybody. Barabbas was set free because the Father set him free. That you and I aren't set free by any other means. You can search the world and you're never going to find it. The thing that you're ultimately looking for, you will never be able to catch it. Your money won't set you free. Your marriage won't set you free. That job won't set you free. That degree can't set you free. Your self-esteem can't set you free. The only thing that can set you free is the Father saying, let him go. Take Jesus instead. Make no mistake. The only person who has set Barabbas free is the Father. Father loves Barabbas. In order for Jesus, Barabbas to be treated like Jesus, Jesus had to be treated like Barabbas. And God showed his love for us in this way. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus walks to that 
with my cross, with your cross. And he gets whipped for my sin and for your sin. And a crown of thorns gets put on his head for what I did and for what you did. He's, he's hanging between two thieves because of what I did and because of what you did. And he says, for God, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And his body was broken for what I did and for what you did. His blood was poured for what I did and for what you did. And he says for us to do one thing on a day like today. One thing Jesus asks us to do on a day like today. He says, remember me. He said, remember my body broken for you and remember my blood spilled for you. 